Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. On this podcast, we'll be discussing the latest with Urban Meyer, including Zach Smith's trip to the White House. Which teams are overrated and underrated in the AP preseason top 25 poll? The birth of the Cheez-It Bowl and an interview with Texas coach Tom Herman. Hey, if you enjoy our podcast, check out the rest of the growing Yahoo Sports podcast network. We have podcasts for NFL fans, MLB fans, and fans looking for an edge in fantasy. Just go to Apple Podcasts or the store of your choice and search Yahoo Sports. All right, gentlemen. College football world continues to wait for Ohio State to determine the fate of Urban Meyer. It should be this week. The Board of Trustees is meeting Wednesday, and already the Columbus Dispatch is reporting the recommendation will be a suspension with the possibility of time served for Urban Meyer. Basically, this last few weeks meant he got a nice paid vacation in the middle of August. Uh, the story to my cynical heart, as we have discussed, felt like a plant, kind of a trial balloon the school was throwing out to gauge the reaction if they went with such a penalty, or they can tack on a little more and, and look a little tougher. Uh, since about the only people I hear complaining about this possibility are the media and outraged Michigan fans, I'm guessing this is the most likely scenario. What do you guys think? What do you think, Pat? Uh, yeah, I mean, that would seem to be a more or less compromised choice. Uh, you are taking action of some kind, but you're not getting rid of one of the two best coaches in college football for reasons that you may not be able to say are an absolute slam dunk and that could possibly cost you up to $40 million to do so. So, you know, I'm not sure Ohio State is, you know, really enthusiastic about finding a way to get rid of Urban Meyer as much as finding a way to keep Urban Meyer while also uh, uh, applying some level of penalty or sanction here. Uh, Pete, you're down in Columbus right now. What, uh, what are you hearing along those lines? Is my cynical read of this got any merit or uh, are we getting a real debate and uh, determination? Um, your read always has merit, Dan. Uh, here's where, where I sit in Columbus after being on the ground here for almost a week. I, I feel like I would be 
distinctly surprised if there are not any repercussions for Urban Meyer. The way the investigation has gone and what Courtney Smith was likely to have told the investigators last Monday brought up enough really severe broaches of protocol by Zach Smith where I would just be surprised if 90-year-old Joanne Davidson, who's running this, and then Mary Jo White, who ran the Bounty Gate case, and then who obviously uh, uh, ran the investigation into former Buckeye Ezekiel Elliott. I have a hard time imagining this long, deep look at Zach Smith's sordid tenure as an Ohio State assistant coach and come out with no repercussions. Yeah, some of those uh, details that have come out, we assume Courtney Smith detailed them to the investigators. Also, they did appear in a Brett McMurphy report. Uh, uncovered some antics, I would say, of Zach Smith. Uh, already been accused of physically abusing his wife on multiple occasions, which is the big one. Uh, but there were also uh, photos of him engaging in, I guess what NCA parlance would say, is some extra benefits with the uh, staff inside the Ohio State coach's office. Uh, th- there was also a, rece- a receiving uh, multiple shipments of sex toys to the Woody Hayes Athletic Center. Um, not sure if they are on Amazon Prime for that. And then during a, 19, a 2015 trip to the White House to celebrate the Buckeyes National Championship, he took a picture of, uh, shall we say, his Brutus Buckeye with a <laughs> White House towel in the background. Um, it's a family podcast. I don't, I'm not really sure what to say. Dan was proud of that one. You could tell by his smirk. I don't know. You try. You try. <laughs> yeah. We're letting you handle all nouns and adjectives here, okay? Uh yeah. I mean, I'm I'm just I'm just trying to keep this thing on the air. Um I it wasn't me. I've never been inside the White House. I will say this though. The picture of the at uh, the White House, that's kind of the first thing I've heard about Zach Smith that I kind of liked. Like, you know, I mean, that's not my thing. Don't need them sending one to me. But if that's like your hobby, and apparently it is. Your hobby. Oh, my And goodness. you get to go to the White House, be a bear. You know, if you're going to be a bear, be a grizzly. So, anyway, Pete, does any of this matter at all? And as Urban Meyer, should he have somehow known about this? And I'll be, I'm going to answer the question for you. If he knew about the picture, that opens a lot more questions than, uh, yeah. So I'm hoping no. But should he have known? Is he responsible for, for this kind of behavior? I think generally, Dan, those sordid details matter only because there's a portrait of recklessness that has emerged here. And there is a portrait of no accountability that's emerged here. He clearly was operating without fear at you know, when the stakes were highest. So I think that to me is what matters most about those details that came out on Friday is that this guy clearly ran his life at his own, at his own, he he ran his own race. And, uh, (laughs) uh, you know, obviously, you know, what was known and who knew what is going to be what the investigators are focused on and likely have been, you know, from when we assume those details came from Courtney Smith on Monday to when the investigation ended on Sunday. And uh, I would imagine there were a lot of awkward and uncomfortable questions. And it's a weird one to have to sit down with an excellent explain. 
That's uh, is Brutus Buckeye. Is that really? Is that that what we're Brutus that, Buckeye? That's the euphemism uh, we're going with here. You can go with that. You know, whatever your horseshoe, whatever you want to go with. <laughs> um, yeah, the script Ohio. He, you know, yeah. I'm, I, I don't. I got one more, and I'm not even going to say it. Uh, involves a band tradition, though, at Ohio State. Yeah. I think you'd would you get like on an FBI watch list? Like, do you have any fear? Oh, yeah, it's just crazy. Anyway. Go into the White House and not have security cameras on you everywhere that you could go unless you have top security clearance. I don't know. Apparently, that never crossed the mind of of Mensa member Zach Smith. Uh, I don't know. The, the whole thing is is just like off the charts in terms of. Uh, details uh i i'm i'm glad you're in favor of this uh, action dan but uh <laughs> I mean, you might, you might of be, all his like... acts i find <laughs> this the least objectionable let's put it i'm okay. gonna i mean the guy's a scumbag but yeah. how about this all right he's got like you know he used the bathroom and then you're like let's say you're the defensive uh line coach and you're thinking back to the white house trip and you're like dude i went in there right after you and i used that towel, <laughs> <The> towel. <laughs> What the hell, man? <laughs> it's a lovely thought. All right, Pat. Pat, yeah. uh, the report says that uh, Smith ordered $2,200 in toys for the office, to the office. Obviously, you don't want the wife getting that shipment, so you got to send it to the office, I guess. Uh, I'm not sure what your monthly allowance is for such things, but is there <laughs> any way... It's Zach Smith can argue to the Ohio State Expense Department that a men's spider enhancer thong, the wild man tee ball lifter, the candy men's jock suspenders, or a Studio Pro product top photography lighting kit could be useful in beating the school up north. Does he have a case with the bookkeepers? <laughs> you know, let's think of this. If it's lifting his spirits, so to speak, uh, maybe it's making him uh, coach in a in a better manner. Although I'm not sure. It's hard to figure out where exactly he spent any time coaching, given all the other stuff he was into. Uh, yeah. You know, sure, you at least try it, right? Everybody, exp- you, you submit the expense form and you say, why not? See what happens. I don't. Uh, I don't. I follow the book. No, Pat. never. I follow the book. Right? I, don't, okay. I don't know what you're talking yeah. about. Sorry. Uh, but, uh, yeah, no, uh, <laughs> I, uh, this, will, I will say, was the least objectionable to me of all of his recent activities that we learned about. Was the, it was the stuff sent to the, uh, the Woody Hayes complex. Uh, you know, what, he was, what else he was doing in the Woody Hayes complex with the staffer, a bit more of a problem than having the uh, the spider whatever you just described thing. Yeah, Pete, there? Pete, do you think what Pat is generally admitting here, Pete, is that Pat is currently wearing the men's spider enhancer thong right now? <laughs> I he... enjoyed Pat getting the questions about this. I was I was going to happily listen to his insightful answers. <laughs> the real the real one here is that the photo lighting kit, okay? Uh, that suggests that there was probably a pictorial maybe uh, taking place inside the Woody Hayes Athletic Center. So Lord knows where that pictures might entail that are out there. Yeah, well, yeah, there were pictures we know taken in the Woody, correct, of uh, Zach and someone else, yep, at least was they, video that was alleged. Yeah. yeah, so. Leaders and legends, leaders and legends. All right, Yahoo College. not the kind of thing that enhances job security unless you're Zach Smith, apparently. Yeah. 
total scumbag. Um, go do something else with your life. Preferably not uh, uh, bruise women in any way. Uh, Yahoo College Fantasy Football. That's right. College Fantasy Football has arrived. 65 teams, five conferences, one fantasy. It looks, feels, and plays just like regular fantasy football with 100% more college. So get a league together. Declare yourself eligible. Get ready to draft your true colors because Saturdays are about to become your newest fantasy tradition. Sign up now at yahoo.com slash college fantasy. All right. AP top 25 preseason poll is out. Always good fun. Alabama is number one, followed by Clemson, Georgia, Wisconsin, and Ohio State. Uh, History tells us the champion is probably in that top five. Just may not be Alabama, but don't tell anyone Alabama. Uh, Let's get right to this. I want to play a little overrated, underrated. Um, The whole top 25, I'm not going to read them all out. I'm too lazy. But Pete, you hopefully looked at them. Uh, Who's overrated? I think the uh, searingly overrated team this offseason, Dan, has been uh, West Virginia. Uh, They have quarterback Will Greer. They have all like the the classic narratives of why you'd overrate a team. They have like nine players back on a really bad defense. Everyone's like, oh, they have this many starters returning. They obviously have the quarterback, and they're going to score points with Holgerson. The league is really down um, with Baker Mayfield gone at Oklahoma. So a lot of people have picked West Virginia to win the Big 12. I am off that bandwagon. I think the Mountaineers are going to be who they are, like a four-loss team that's you know, might beat somebody, but they're also going to lose to someone they shouldn't and are just kind of the flotsam and jetsam of the Big 12. Yeah, Mountaineers always get those. The big in-state media markets really play a role, too, in overhyping them. <laughs> um, it happens. <laughs> that wheeling big paper down. wields a lot of clout. Yeah. Oh, who I mean, when the Beckley TV gets behind you, it's going to be something. <laughs> Pat, uh, who is overrated? I'm going with Miami, although the schedule actually gives them a pretty good chance. But they're rated eighth uh, in the AP right now. And last year, they, they were a really good story. They came a long way in terms of improving the program under Mark Richt. Uh, but I think that they were a little bit of fool's gold last year. They, you know, they feasted on turnovers. They had the turnover chain thing going. At the end of the year... They weren't very good. They won a lot of games close. Uh, They got beaten by a bad Pittsburgh team. They got crushed by Clemson. They lost their bowl game. I thought they were exposed as an okay team that overachieved and kind of got lucky. And so I think that you take them back down to the mean of where they probably should have been, and I'm not sure they'll be a ton better than that. They've got their starting quarterback back. They've got some very good players on defense back. But uh, I expect Miami probably to be – eight, nine wins and not be a, a top 10 team. All right. I'm going with Washington that's sitting number six. And the only reason I'm doing that is because they are the only West Coast team uh, in the top uh, 12. Uh, Stanford's coming in 13. And I just feel like the voters were filling out their thing. Alabama, I'll take Clemson. I'll take Wisconsin. Oh, Buckeyes, you know, going down the list. And they went, oh, I got to have somebody out West. And so they just went with Washington, and they threw them, and they end up getting a bunch of votes. I think it's like a statistical anomaly. I have no idea whether they're going to be that good or not. They might be, <laughs> but I just feel like that's how they got voted sixth. <laughs> Dan, uh, always a big believer in uh, media polls. I know you're, you're big media media polls, conspiracies. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, better than we'll see. We'll see who's right here. Uh, Pete, who's underrated? Who should be who should be getting a little more love? 
I am going to uh, go local on you guys and say the Boston College Eagles are a little bit underrated. They have the ACC preseason player of the year in, in A.J. Dillon, who I think is one of the most underrated players in the country. They have finally a plus offensive line there with some guys coming back from injury and returning starters. Uh, they seem to have a solution at quarterback, and they're excellent on defense. I think the most underrated player in the country is their defensive end, Zach Allen. So I think the Eagles, the way their schedule sets up, and with the veteran experience they have and an identity that they will uh, smash mouth their way into the top 25 at some point this season. Pat, Homer, underrated? Slappy. Homer, Homer, <laughs> Homer. Uh, I'm going with, uh, I'm getting back on the old Boise bus, which oh. I, uh, I started back in like 2009 uh, and, and rode hard for a while. Uh, Chris Peterson was awesome. Brian Harson has taken over and done a good job, but he hasn't had a breakthrough season yet. I think this is it. Um, I look at their schedule, and I'm not sure who's going to beat them. They've got Troy, Connecticut, at Oklahoma State. That'll be the big one. I think if they get past that, they could go 12-0 and and then win a Mountain West Conference Championship, be 13-0, and be playing in a, uh, a New Year's Six Bowl game. We'll see whether they get the UCF treatment and get shunned to the side of the playoff or not. But I think they're going to be uh, in the mix. They got 10 starters back on defense. They got their quarterback, Brett Rippon, who's really good. They got a good running back. Uh, they're, they're hurting at wide receiver a little bit, but their top two recruits are both wide receivers. If they come through, get on the bus with me, baby. Yeah, Boise recruiting. Good stuff. Got a good one out of, out of eastern Idaho. Um, <laughs> when I rode death to the BCS, I was so, uh, they loved me so much. This is not even a joke. I started receiving the alumni magazine. Somehow I... <laughs> From Boise? It's all blue. It's just everything is blue. You can barely read. It's all blue background with white. No. Yeah, I was... Uh, I don't know. For like three years, I got the Boise State alumni magazine. I tried to get it off the list. Didn't work. I... <laughs> so I just ran Reading up on, you know, proud alums doing great things in Nampa. Absolutely. Ab- <laughs> yep, absolutely. Good good stuff going on out there. When uh, My... My underrated, <laughs> my underrated is uh, Michigan State. Although they're 11, so it's not like they're that underrated. But look, uh, they get Ohio State and Michigan at home. Ohio State currently doesn't have a head coach, so who knows? Like, I think he'll be back, but this could also all go sideways for him. They get them both at home. They got to go to Penn State, but I'm not sure how good Penn State is. Great offense, Mark D'Antonio. No one talking about them. All the hype going to to, to at per usual. Whatever Harbaugh's doing, whatever Ohio State's doing, whatever Notre Dame's doing, um, I'd, I would not be at all surprised if Michigan State is in Indy. It's also a division where a lot of teams going through unscathed is very hard, so they could lose a game along the way uh, and still and still win the uh, Big Ten East. So that's my uh, that's my underrated. Am I wrong? So yeah, wait a minute. Okay. But, so we got the guy in Boston saying Boston College is underrated and the guy in Michigan saying Michigan State is underrated. I, 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 I think you should uh, move to sports, Idaho, Pat. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah sports well, yeah. listeners, there's at least one person thinking outside of his current box. So I'm thinking I, of you I all out hard there pressed across the nation. should be called a, a Michigan State sympathizer uh, <laughs> if you read my Larry Nasser column, columns through the uh, All 156 so, of them this year, yeah. Yeah, yeah, they don't not real popular up there, but you know, so that's that. I'm willing to to overcome that. Uh, the angry voices yelling at me. Uh, all right. Also, this week, the University of Alabama has announced a new campaign for a six 
$100 million upgrade of its athletic facilities. It is dubbed the Crimson Standard. Maybe now they'll start being seen as a school with good uh, good athletics. You know, good luck with that, guys. Um, look, this is mostly a facelift for what's already been more than adequate and often quite opulent uh, stuff in Tuscaloosa. Uh, it includes a new lobby for the Malmore Athletic Facility. Probably not needed. New locker room, new Coleman Coliseum grand entry. There's a new Bryant-Denny game day locker room entrance for the players. Uh, so that's going to get used like seven days a year. It's going to be a new game day locker room. There's a recruiting room, lots of lounges and stuff like that. Uh, this is how it works everywhere. Everybody is gold plating and gold plating and uh, goes on. But one of the things that stood out to me as I, as I read up on this and watched their little promotional video was part of the renovations of Coleman Coliseum make the facility a little better for women's gymnastics, which Alabama is uh, awesome at. Um, and that is nice, except... The NCA still limits scholarships uh, to sports like women's gymnastics. Uh, you can only give 12 full scholarships. The average women's gymnastics team has 18 uh, uh, team members. Uh, it drives me crazy. These schools are, I know this is done for competitive reasons because not everyone can afford 18 scholarships, but these schools are trying to find and invent ways to spend money and yet we still have Division One student-athletes on these teams who do not get a full ride. They have to divvy it up halfway ride. Why not take that money and spend it on women's gymnastics and soccer and field hockey and, and men's tent, whatever it is, and give full rides, help out more kids, more families, and all of that. So, Pat, you are a parent of uh, three Division One student-athletes, two in the SEC, one in the Pac-12 what do you think of uh, how they just build nicer locker rooms but won't give you a, a cut on, on tuition? Yeah, uh, well, you're, you, you can run for Congress out of my household with your stance on this. I could not agree with you more. Uh, that Yeah, I mean, that's the, the, it is hard to field teams and give people uh, enough money to be really key parts of those teams. Um, we got two partial scholarship guys in the family and one – full ride, which was incredibly nice, but, uh, but you're spending a lot of money for people that are, are considered very vital parts of the team uh, because the school can't do it. And yeah, this just goes to the, you know, the, the, the imbalance of the, the hyper importance. And I understand people care about football and they care about men's basketball and those do bring in the money, but the absurd level of opulence, like you uh, indicated and and Pete last year went to Clemson and slept in the nap room and played miniature golf on the miniature golf course at the football facility and all this sort of thing. It's like yeah, they're they're just sitting on this pile of money. Like okay, we just got to find more ways to spend it, but they're not they're not spending it so that people can afford to go to school. And so you get a lot of these athletes in Olympic sports that are taking on debt, taking on student loans to be parts of these teams. So the the, the inequity is there, and it would be really nice if this just avalanche of money found its way to help some of those people go to school and wear the uniforms for their for their universities that people cheer for and i'll get to you in a sec pete but and i would i would stress i would be fine with sharing this money or at least allowing the football and basketball players to control their own name and likeness so they can sure. take some of that money i am 100 but they're they're a dot they're religiously opposed to that but then they're sitting there with these kids say, hey, look, we just improved the, the women's gymnastics facilities. 
How about the women's gymnastics kids? I guarantee you will trade a full ride for a new locker room. Like they don't Absolutely. need a new locker room. They want the full ride. So Pete, what do you think about this, this uh, situation? Well, I just want to correct Pat. I also went down the slide as well as take a nap in the nap room and played mini golf. So I just want to make sure you, you, you covered all of the uh, angles. What'd you shoot in mini golf? What what did you, you know, shoot in mini I, I golf? Played, I played pretty well. I definitely beat uh, both of the Clemson athletic administrative officials that I played. Although they might have tanked because I think they play every day and they didn't want to look like they were playing too well. So <laughs> I was most impressed at the mini golf Dan that the uh, the putters like the grip on the putters were color coded both like the proper tint of orange and purple. So they, they left. Right. They left. They really left nothing. Uh, no stone unturned there. Uh, no. Look, look. I obviously all these facilities are completely ridiculous, and that trend is not ending anytime soon. I went to Northwestern to see their facility, which does include women's lacrosse and other non-revenue sports this year. I believe it's a two hundred seventy million dollar facility, which is about five times what Clemson spent for its uh, for its mini golf course and basketball court and barbecue area, et cetera. So um, I'm all for taking care of the student athletes in all sports as much as you possibly can with the mountains of money that are coming in. And uh, yeah, instead of paying the, the, the football coaches, you know, $10 million, which is where we're headed. And the ADs are now up in that $2 million range. I do think there could be some more even distribution to the actual athletes, but I just don't well, ever see I a just, stop to any of this stuff. It, It'll never stop. But like you said, they they did they did a facility for women's lacrosse, but they will not give all the players on a team a scholarship. Like start yeah. with that, and then whatever you got left over. That's Title Nine, anyway. Like, and and Northwestern's seventy thousand plus a year. USC seventy thousand. They can plus a year, they can right? add. They got six hundred million dollars. You can add a tennis a men's tennis team too. Title IX is not stopping you. When you've got that kind of pile of money, why not add more sports? Why not add sure. more scholarships? They're they're doing it because the the middle the the uh, you know the Sun Belt doesn't want. They want to pretend like they can actually compete in gymnastics and and in a lot of sports you can in some of the non revs, but they got plenty of money and and they they cry a million things. All right, uh, the Fiesta Bowl. Uh, actually, it's not the Fiesta Bowl. It's still the Tostitos Fiesta Bowl. But one of the other bowls the Fiesta Bowl runs is now called the Cheez-It Bowl after the uh, those cheesy, salty little snacks. The Cheez-It Bowl is the new uh, entry to the bowl community. Uh, earlier this year, an industrial park near O'Hare International Airport uh, took up sponsorship of the Bahama Bowl, although its slogan is Makers Wanted. I think is terrible because when 99% of college football fans hear someone say makers wanted, they think the dude <laughs> wants a bourbon, not we need uh, some light manufacturing tenants for an industrial park in Illinois. Anyway, the Cheez-It Bowl is here. Uh, I don't hate it. And, uh, and I'm wondering, uh, we'll start with you, Pete. If you're going to name a bowl after like a gas station, 7-Eleven snack food, what would you choose? What, what, what? What little item deserves a little love like Cheez-Its? I would say in my uh, in my travels around the college football world, when I stop at a 7-Eleven or some gas station, I tend to be a kind bar guy. I try to like I try to thread the needle and go about as healthy. And let's face it, a kind bar bowl. We could all use a little more kindness in this world today. Right. So I, I feel like that's that's where that's where I would go. I know they're hoping for like some obscure like knockoff cheese doodle bowl or something. I, I don't have it. I'm, I'm getting I'm getting a kind bar. 
Kind bar bowl. Problem. Okay. That would have to be like in Seattle. Like we'd have to go to a nice yeah. town. Like Bay Area. Seattle Bowl. Yeah, Bay Area, Bay Area. Kind Bar Bowl. Yeah. yeah. You'd have to be vegan, vegan and like something like that. I don't know. <laughs> You'd hate the press meal right. there, Dan. Yeah. I would yeah, I would be good. <laughs> Pat, what what's your uh what's your gas station snack food bowl? That's uh, it. Pete doesn't do gas station snacks. Let's start with that. All right. know, you know, know, Mr. Yeah. Paleo Healthy Eater. So Yeah, yeah. Whole Foods. You know. I should have said the Whole Foods yeah, salad no. bar. Oh, that's it. Could have gone with that. Could have gone with whatever you yeah. wanted. Yeah, yeah. I, I gave given this a lot of thought. If I, if I were going to go by my personal actual favorite snack, it would probably be the Chili Cheese Frito Bowl. But uh, in, I, I think – you can come up with an even better name than that. Better sponsor. You remember like the Toast Chi Nip Chi crackers? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was um, good. So I, the Nip Chi Bowl in <laughs> Nippert Stadium in nippy weather. Is Nipsey Russell still alive? He could be like the – he could do the coin toss. Uh, I think everybody loves a little Nip Chi, you know, and why not have that in a place like Cincinnati? You can, uh, you can get your bad chili beforehand, then you can move on to your bad snack bowl. In front of thirteen thousand people, play a bowl game. <laughs> I mean, I would definitely get those snacks rather than eat that horrendous chili they serve down there. That's just that's an assault. I on. hate chili. Ugh. Or especially the. I don't. I, I should chili. say that. Yeah, I, I dislike the cult of chili. How about that? Like, I would never go to a chili restaurant. Yeah. I like chili a I lot, don't, but I don't like skyline yeah. chili. Love chili, not Skyline chili. All right, I'm going to give you guys the proper answer, though. It's the uh, black coffee from the rest stop coffee machine bowl. Uh, You know, you put like 75 cents into that vending machine, and it grinds it right up for you. Fresh, hot cup of joe. Chronically underappreciated. Great value, solid flavor, and it has prevented uh, countless truckers from jackknifing during whiteouts west of Omaha. Yeah, I think the black coffee from a rest stop coffee machine bowl has to be tied to like the Alamo Bowl, something in Texas with long highways, something like that. I think that's your when, I mean, when you're in a pinch, that thing comes through. Yeah, pa- yeah, the Sun Bowl, that's good. I mean, you got it. You're 300 mile drive either way. I think that's play it some so that's, some desolate rest stop on on I-80. You know, where you just yeah. play right there. They can move it down yep. the highway every year. It is true. Is there a New Mexico Bowl now? Albuquerque. There's a New Mexico Bowl. Yeah, Yeah, maybe. Maybe good. See, anti-Starbucks. Very cheap. Very good. Um, It's fresh ground. It's fresh ground. That's what I love. They they really hype that. Like, how long has that bean been in there? (laughs) (laughs) All right. um, Hey, we have actual college football being played this weekend. Uh, It's like a bonus weekend. No one's really talking about it, but uh, they are in Wyoming, uh, where Wyoming is playing North New Mexico State. Uh, and Colorado State is at Hawaii. Now, they did this last year. I don't know how many years we've done this. I do remember watching a couple games uh, in Vegas. I was in Vegas last year for the Conor McGregor-Floyd Mayweather fight and being just thrilled, and I went to the sports book, and there were only two games on, but I still watch. Kind of weird, though. It is not week one, so why are we doing this? And I hate to, like, raise a question of why wouldn't we want football this weekend, but do you like that they're starting – like it's week zero, and does this, just knowing how college athletics works, how long until there's like five games and then 10, and, it, and we, we end up like college basketball when no one knows when the season even begins? Like, is, should college football go with this, or should they, they, they stay strong like the, the NFL does? 
they will go with it, whether it's a good idea or not. As you said, I mean, college football will always err on the side of excess and, uh, and more games and more TV coverage and more TV inventory earlier. Yeah. I mean, everybody's starving to death for football that doesn't involve an NFL exhibition or horrendous NFL tackling rules. Uh, and so people are going to flock to Wyoming, New Mexico state somehow, some way. And the Colorado state, Hawaii, uh, just because it's there. Uh, is it a good idea? Mm, probably not. You know, I think the, the one thing that's funny, if you talk to a lot of coaches and even players, they'll tell you the season's too long as it is, you know, that uh, when they start cranking up in late July and you're especially the, the four teams that make the playoff or the two that make the championship are ending in uh, uh, 10 days into January, they'll, they'll say it's already too long. But uh, I think it's here to stay, and uh, I'll take Wyoming and lay the points against New Mexico State. All right. Pete, you going to be watching? Uh, I will be watching. I actually vividly remember trying to find a uh, CBS Sports app on my TV to watch the Colorado State game last year, and I couldn't. So I did what anyone would do. I went to a bar and watched. Um, (laughs) So I I do think there's some nuance of why this is happening. Like maybe we should only allow Hawaii and UMass to play in week zero. We can call it the kind bar Hawaii bowl because they have scheduling problems. And we can call it the Dan Wetzel keep UMass independent forever bowl and let them play particularly obscure opponents. And they're the only ones that are allowed under those two premises. Oh, like UMass plays Quinnipiac or something in the first yeah. you know, first week. Yes. Yeah. You get to go do the coin toss, you know. <laughs> Need yeah. UMass independent because I don't like conference commissioners. So this is great. <laughs> I think they're they're right up this thing. All right, Yahoo College Fantasy Football has arrived. 65 teams, five conferences, one fantasy. It looks, feels, and plays just like regular fantasy football, but with 100% more college sign up now at yahoo.com slash college fantasy all right this week's interview has pete sitting down with texas longhorn coach tom herman enjoy two caveats before we dive into tom herman interview one is this was recorded before the uh jeff snook induced was he the source melodrama so that is not mentioned there and i want people to know that the other much more important nuance of this is that tom herman has held strong and kept a yahoo email address so um i know much like pat has an aol address which which i am very envious of we, we just want to salute coach herman for for keeping it real on uh, on yahoo.com best email product going it's not even close, yeah. so good good for uh, Tom. All right. Uh, well, I hope that gets addressed. We'll see. We'll see. It's a mystery. Listen, and Pete will uh, clue you in on what gets talked about. This is the uh, Yahoo College Sports Football Podcast. I think it should be the old Yahoo, like yodeling, to be honest with you. Can, can you give it a shot? Yahoo! Now, Tom is a very fitting guest for us because his email is still on Yahoo servers. Can you, can you confirm that? And talk about your brand loyalty to Yahoo. I can confirm that. I actually uh, have started that personal email account. Oh, <laughs> 15 years ago, maybe. And uh, the, the unfortunate thing is you can't change when 
the email account is attached to so many things in your life now and that it just it just compiles and compiles and compiles and the to change would be much more trouble than it's worth so i am a, a loyal yahoo.com email user and we appreciate that that's why we picked you actually but we went with uh, we went with tom herman so coach appreciate you being on with us and uh, we're going to start by doing a little little big 12 history this is your third swing through the league you saw it at Texas in the late 90s under Mac Brown. You saw it at Iowa State about a decade later. And then you came back about a decade later. I'm just curious how you've seen the league evolve and where you see it now. Well, it's, it's so even from top to bottom. I, I mean, when, when I was at Iowa State even, whenever that was, in uh, 11, uh, 9, 10, and 11, it was really Texas and Oklahoma, and then there was a, a, an enormous gap. Uh, between those those top two teams, and now uh, that that's not the case. You know, you saw the the, the team that represented our, our conference in the playoffs get beat by Iowa State. You know, you saw um, you know we we were not as um, you know up to our standards uh, as we would have liked, and we went and you know beat Kansas State in overtime, and and um, you know held. Oklahoma State to 10 points in regulation. And so uh, I think they're from top to bottom, uh, this this league is as good as there is. Because I've been in other leagues too where uh, it, it was like the, the old Big 12 where it was the, the an enormous amount of haves and have-nots. And uh, there was a, a sense that uh, some weeks were just kind of weeks off for the big boys and uh, they had to get ready for, you know, maybe three or four weeks a, a year. And uh, in the Big 12, that's not the case, especially on the road. So we're here at Big 12 Media Day. You looked out into the masses of 560 credentialed people today. You once worked in sports radio, which I think a lot of people don't know. Do you ever, like, sit there and look at that? I mean, very easily, if your life twisted a few fates, you could have been on the other chair there if you decided to not go into coaching and you decided to sort of keep on that line i'm sure you you hate to think about that right now but i'm just kind of curious having sat in that side and had that perspective how you look at a day like this and approach a day like this and approach you know trying to use the media to help your brand well i've always been told i've got a face for radio so uh i was we can confirm (laughs) yes thank you uh yeah it was my first love i really i really did think that that was going to be something that I did, whether it was behind a microphone, on camera, even as a PA announcer, I did a lot of that. Uh, you know, at, when you go to a Division three school, you can wear, wear a lot of hats. You can actually play football, be in student government, be the PA announcer, and, uh, you know, drive the bus, and so to speak. But uh, I, I just, there was something that was, that was missing in that, and I, and I promised myself at least early after college that I would do something that I didn't have to set an alarm to, to wake up and do and something that I loved. And, uh, you know, Confucius said, find a profession you love and you'll never work a day in your life. And the one thing that, that I was in love with was football. And I knew I wasn't going to play professionally. And so, um, but I wanted to be in that locker room. You know, my coaches were my dads. My teammates were my brothers. I'm an only child. So um, do, do I miss certain aspects of it? Certainly. Uh, and I feel like I, w- I was halfway decent at it, but um, I'm, I'm happy with how my career turned out. <laughs> <laughs> we can probably confirm that, too. Uh, you had an interesting quote earlier today, Tom. You, you said, uh, coaches and players win games 
administrators win championships. I think your ace PR guy, John Bianco, might have helped you craft that. But I, um, I'm curious just if you can expound on that a little bit. And just that it, it's a fascinating notion because Texas, quite frankly, is behind right now administratively. There, there, it, it, there is, there's a rut finance financially and administratively that they've needed to dig out of Chris Del Conte with all his trademark energy is is, is starting that and uh, I, I'm curious just what made you say that because that seemed like one of your key tenor points uh, at media day well because I believe in our administration one I, I think for the first time in the last six or seven years there's stability there you know you're, you're talking about a run of what would it be four athletic directors three head football coaches and two presidents in five years. Think about that. I mean, that's, that's absurd. And, and you wonder why Texas football and Texas basketball uh, were where they were. It was because there was so much instability and, uh, and so much inconsistency in, in leadership. And I think Greg Fenvis has done wonders in terms of getting everybody to, as they say, you know, kind of all row the boat in the same direction. Um, hope I don't have to pay PJ Fleck any any, any royalties for that, but uh, you know, and, and and then obviously when Chris got here, it was the same thing in our department. It was everybody, you know, as Daryl Royal said, once the BBs are out of the box, it's really hard to get them back in. And uh, Chris understands that it's a it's going to take everybody to get those BBs back in the box, and it's going to take everybody headed in the same direction. And I really do believe that that um, they're they're. There's not many conference or national championships won when administrations are in turmoil. I mean, I, I, I don't know if that's ever happened. And so now that uh, we've got some stability, we've got some consistency, I think, you know, we can now start putting the BBs back in the box. So one of the things that's interested me when you took over, I remember uh, talking to you soon after, I think I was there for signing day, and you told me that you had more recruiting infrastructure in-house at Houston than you had when you got to Texas. So as a microcosm of what's changed in now, what, uh, 18 months, I guess, can you give me a sense of what the recruiting operation in, in the subsidiaries of that, I guess, you walked into was and now what it looks like now? Yeah, and, and certainly not to dwell on the past, but we did, we, we've, we've added, I think, if you, if you include creative media, which is our, our graphics team, social media team, video team, uh, recruiting department, operations department uh, and strength staff and nutrition staff, I think we've added something like nine jobs in football alone, nine or 11 jobs in football alone, and we're still behind some some programs, to be quite honest with you. Um, but it, it was desperately needed. Uh, this, this was a place that um, we had an, uh, an unprecedented amount of success for Coach Brown's 10-year run of uh, 10 wins or more, uh, a national championship, another title game appearance, and uh, you know it was it was unprecedented. But it, it was it was time to uh, you know become uh, one of the elite programs, not just from a brand and tradition standpoint, but also from a resource standpoint. You had some pointed comments last year that basically said for the Big 12 to catch up, it needs to recruit better, and pointed pointed to some numbers. And it reminded me a little bit of when Urban Meyer got to the Big Ten. The Big Ten was behind. Big Ten was slow. There was SEC speed. 
How do you feel like in the months after that, and you guys obviously hauled in an elite, to give PJ another plug, uh, recruiting class uh, from there. Just how do you feel like the league is rising now? Because, I mean, as goes Texas, as goes the Big 12, as goes Oklahoma, goes the Big 12, as, as we've seen historically. Do you feel like there's an increased competitiveness recruiting-wise nationally uh, in, in, in the league now? I, I do. And, and unfortunately, <laughs> you know, there – there was a guy with Texas ties that was at Ohio State that kind of opened the doors uh, to the state of Texas for them. Uh, you know, Texas A&M joining the SEC has opened the doors for the Alabamas and Georgias of the world. LSU's obviously done, uh, you know, always done a good job, uh, especially in in Southeast Texas. But uh, you know, the 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 downfall of Texas, coupled with that confluence of events. Um, really made Texas kind of um, open open season, if you will, for for everybody out of state. And so we've got to do a really good job. Uh, Coach Riley at Oklahoma has done a great job of of um, you know getting his fair share of Texas recruits and keeping guys in the region uh, home. We feel like last year, I think we signed eleven of the top fourteen uh, players in the state of Texas. We kept them home, which was markedly different than the year prior where all 10 of the 10 all went to out-of-state programs so uh, for us to do that we've, we've got to keep the elite players in texas uh in the big 12 at least whether it be texas uh, oklahoma tcu baylor texas tech oklahoma state culture has been a, a huge word in your coaching vocabulary it, it started the moment you walked in the door at houston you completely changed the culture of that program of that entire athletic department really with your team right now at Texas, how can you quantify? I mean, it's, it's like tangible, making something tang- intangible, tangible. But how can you quantify how much the culture has changed within your team and program since you arrived, Tom? Seven. That's how many games you won. No, I mean that. That's. Oh, I thought okay, four, fourteen. Oh, you just wanted to give me a, a number. <laughs> Seventy-two percent. No, I don't. I don't know how to quantify uh, the the intangible, but um, I, I, I do. I just I, I see it on the faces of our players. I see um, again. We we have not eased up one bit. Uh, our program is still as difficult, as demanding, as as detail oriented uh, as it as it ever was. But I think just the buy-in, the uh, enjoyment that hi, coach. Yeah, how are we doing? The the enjoyment that. Uh, our guys get coming to work every day because they genuinely like being around their teammates and their coaches is um, you, you just feel it you sense it it's, it's it's it is tangible i don't know that you can put a number on it or a quantif- quantify it but it certainly is tangible what is tangible is the job todd orlando has done with your defense last year and obviously he did the same thing at houston you lose some brand marquee names off of off of your defense from from last year at really you know you talk about poon on the defensive line malik at linebacker pretty much your whole secondary or a good chunk of your secondary is is departing what's your confidence in the talent you brought in i know you have a lot of very highly regarded freshman defensive backs uh what's your what's your confidence in todd being able to mix in that new talent and keep that extremely high standard of defense he set well the the one good thing is we evolved in the big 12 was we were Towards the end of the season, we were playing in our six DB package quite a bit. You know, we were a, whatever you want to call it, three two six. You know, and and uh, uh, you know, we, we feel like 
you know, we can survive in this league doing that. Um, but I, I, I have, you know, the guy that to me is going to be the hardest to replace is Puna Fort, to be honest with you, uh, because he was just so disruptive, so strong and powerful. Uh, you know, there was a reason he was the defensive lineman of the year in the conference. And so, um, you know, and that's certainly not to take anything away from Malik Jefferson or, or Deshaun Elliott, but, um, you know, Puna, it's hard to find uh, nose guards that can affect the game the way that Puna Ford did. And so, uh, you know, if we can get some of the production close to, to what Puna did, I think we'll be in good shape. If you haven't heard, there's some uncertainty at the quarterback position. I don't know if anybody's talked about it in Austin or you've been asked about it at all in this offseason, but uh, I have some sources close to the program that said there's 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 a pretty wide-open quarterback race. Uh, I thought so much of your quarterback position last year was defined by the fact that your offensive line really struggled. You've addressed that with some talent upgrades, some transfers, uh, a new coach, obviously, on the offensive line. How much cleaner could things look on offense no matter who's taking snaps next year because that element appears to be trending towards stabilizing well i think a lot you know that yeah you're right and uh, that offense is only as good as its offensive line and you know when you're starting a true freshman at right tackle in the big 12 and it's a kid that's you know was 17 years old he wasn't even shaven when he was you know playing against oklahoma and you know you're you're mixing and matching. You, you probably you lost your best run blocking tight end in Andrew Beck. You, you lost your best one of your best run blocking offensive linemen in Elijah Rodriguez uh, for the season. So it was it was difficult. And uh, you know I think we had seven or eight or nine different starting lineups up front. And um, so if we can stay healthy, I feel good about the starting five. We've got to um, solidify the next three. I think any head coach would tell you that if you if you've got eight guys that you feel confident that you could put in a game and win the game with, uh, then that's a, probably a good percentage. And so we, we've got to find those next three guys. We've got to develop them. Uh, and then you should see, again, the quarterback play improve, the running back play improve, and uh, hopefully, like you said, a, a, a cleaner, more efficient offense. What is the one thing you want most out of who's going to win your quarterback job? What is the, the, the one trait, the one – is, is it a leadership thing? Is it, is it a confidence in the offense thing? Like, what, what is it, the defining trait you're going to want from the quarterback who's going to, who's going to win your job this year? I can't just say one. Um, I, I think certainly protect the football, manage the game um, situationally, uh, make the players around you better in terms of the decisions that you make, um, and then, you know, be a leader. You know, be uh, – the, the, and again – you can you can be all of those things, but if the ball doesn't cross the goal line, you know, the, at the end of the day, are, are, does the offense move when you're in there, and does the ball cross the goal line? And if if the answer is yes, then then you're our guy. You had a great line in the uh, athletic season preview. You said, I, basically, I was such a genius calling plays in the bowl game. I had 280 yards, and the punter was the MVP. Um, that has obviously been an intriguing notion that's hung over the program this year, your involvement in the play calling. I'm just wondering philosophically how you're thinking about that heading into camp and obviously going into the opening game. I've always been very involved in the play calling. I was my two years at Houston. I was last year. Um, you know, so the the thing that you've got to realize is that you know, 95% of successful offense happens Sunday through Friday. 
and it's the development of the game plan, it's the installation of the game plan, and then it's the retention and execution of the game plan by the players. Uh, and, you know, I'd like to think when I was an offensive coordinator uh, at Ohio State, if I'd stepped off the curb and got hit by a bus, that anybody on Saturday morning, anybody could have called that game that afternoon because we were so well prepared throughout the week. So uh, I'm very involved in the offense uh, throughout the week. I'm very involved on game day and, and have been. Uh, now, whether that, and there's no play that, that gets called that I, I don't either A, know about, or B, have veto power to say, hey, whoa, 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 whoa we're not doing that. Uh, so I, I don't know that it'll be much different, but, uh, you know, we're going to do whatever we need to do to make sure that the, the offense runs smoother and more efficiently. But I think that starts with the development of our players, and it starts with the, um, you know, this is <laughs> – Believe it or not, this is the first time in five years that these players have had the same offense for a second year in a row. And so just that alone uh, should pay quite a bit of dividends. So is that a long way to say the actual calling of plays like is a bit probably overrated and overstated? I think so. I mean, again, maybe one or two plays a game as a, as a, as a, as a coordinator, you... You say, "Oh, I got him there," or "Man, that, that that one felt good," or "Well, it was a, you know, third and three. Do we throw it, run it, and ah, I'm, I'm going to do this, and it works." And you say, "Okay." Um, so, but beyond that, it's it's always, uh, you know, I'm always on the headset with the the offense the offensive coordinator, and we're talking about, "Hey, hey, Tim, next first down, take a deep shot," or "Tim, we're 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 not holding up in the pocket. Make sure you get the quarterback on the move," or. Tim this, you know, Tim that. Tim, hey, when we get down on the goal line, I want you to throw a fade to Colin Johnson. I mean, so those are all literally things that happen throughout the course of a game. So I, I do think it's a, it's a bit overblown. Uh, I, I think, again, you know, the development of our players and the development of the game plan and then the execution of that game plan is, is 98, 95, 98% of, of the battle. Generally, obviously, I'm not going to ask you, like, win total or goal but what would be considered the next step forward for this program you went from five obviously the year before you got there to seven last year you won a bowl game you brought in an elite recruiting class just generally speaking from the macro what would the next step of progress look like continued improvement obviously and you know probably our our two biggest mantras develop and finish you know we've got we've got to finish those we got to turn those close losses those fourth quarter leads into wins uh and then we we've got to get especially on offense our young guys better uh and then we've got to continue developing the relationships and and make sure that we're playing cohesively and you know how many wins that translates into i don't know but i know for us uh, you know the goal is always to be in the conversation in the months of november and december for the for the big 12 championship and I, I think that's a the fair goal this year. So Tom Herman, mid nineties radio intern at a sports talk station in LA, how would he grade this interview? B plus. Much appreciated. Uh Tom Herman on the Yahoo College Sports Podcast. Thanks for your time, Coach. Thank you. Hook'em horns. Big debate online in the last week or so about whether millennials are killing off mayonnaise. This country has too much time on its hands. <laughs> Apparently, 
Millennials prefer salsas, fancy mustards, sriracha, and other condiments. Someone even coined the term identity condiments. This goes back to the Zach Smith part, I think. Um, <laughs> that's funny. It's possible. Millennials uh, are always a little interesting. They love drinking out of mason jars and things like that. Uh, I don't know whether this is true, uh, but I'm all for it. Mayo is awful. I have been supportive of the crusade by Drew McGarry of Deadspin and GQ about what he terms big mayo, which at some point grew so powerful in this country, you basically have to opt out of having mayo on anything you order. It's just assumed you want this horrendous thing. And even then, the waitress acts in shock when you say no mayo. They ask if you want it on the side. No, I don't want it at all. Uh, and then sometimes they just put it on there anyway. Uh, as identity condiments go, mayo identifies you as someone with terrible taste. What say you, Pat? <laughs> I do like mayo, so there you go. You know what? I, I'm here to defend mayo in the face of you snobs who, for some reason, have it, have it against something that really enhances a good BLT. Does not. Does you know, not. Ham and cheese with a little mayo? Come on, man. Look, I, Al. What is I it? Say, what is it? I don't know. I don't care. Yeah, exactly. I don't have to know. Do you have to know every ingredient and in everything you eat? You want your rest stop coffee with beans from 1948? It's just beans. Up, but you, it's, it, there's nothing coffee, wrong with beans, that. and water. That's it. I think a deep investigation, Dan, could reveal that Pat actually uses mayo to get his perfectly coiffed hair. Ah, yes. Thanks. There you go. Great. <laughs> no, I, I, I'm fine with mayonnaise. And I look, and this comes from somebody who, very respectfully, having gone to the Tokyo Sewage Museum uh, last week, this week I almost went to the Wisconsin Mustard Museum. There is such a thing. I'm on a tour. Everywhere I go, there's a, a, an oddball museum. I'm fine with mustard. I'm okay with mustard and, and its museum. But I would I, I want to a Mayo museum somewhere, preferably somewhere in greater Detroit where you have to drive past it every day, Dan Wetzel. Let me just let me just hold on real quick. I'll get to you, Pete, on this because you're you're much more sensible on this topic. Um, <laughs> you know, you're just in Tokyo, as you said, and there is actually something called the Mayo Terrace in Tokyo. It is a museum slash factory tour, quote, dedicated to the egg oil and vinegar concoction. So I guess that's what's in that thing. Well, there you didn't you even go. go. <laughs> and this year alone, Heinz has uh, started the mayo ketchup. Well, that's that's terrible. And mayonnaise oh. ice cream. Ooh, oh. yeah, like mayo ice cream. Oh, yeah, yeah, talk no. some sense into the people here. Mayo sucks. And we I'm so anti-mayo and so violently anti-mayo, I'm afraid we'll alienate all of our Southern listeners if I really get on my soapbox <laughs> about how much I dislike mayo. It should come with like a defibrillator on the side. Um, <laughs> yeah, I am just, I, I would rather like bathe in a vat of spiders than eat mayo. I hate it. I think wow. it's just disgusting. I think Pete's anti-taste, though. He doesn't like things that taste good. So, you know, that's why we end up with the, that's why we end up with the kind bar bowl and yeah, oh, I'm starting to reconsider my position now. See? <laughs> Stick around long what if it, I'll convert you. What if it was organic mayo, Pete? What if it was organic mayo? No kind of mayo. Organic, non-organic, Hellman's, the light, all of it is awful. I live in fear of mayo. I'm the guy who orders no mayo, and when I end the order, I'm like, 
you got no mayo, right? Like I, I, that big mayo campaign that you talked about. I am very. Or yes. you go somewhere and they have sandwiches laid out, and you have to like, you have to like either scrape the mayo off or ask. Like, yeah, mayo is assumed, and that's a bad assumption by America. I agree. Once the mayo is on a sandwich, you cannot get it off. You need the whole thing Never. again. You need a <laughs> scalpel. They just, they, they just bring it anyway. You're like, I really don't want any mayo on the sandwich, and they bring you a vat anyway. So we'll just put it on the side because they just dumbfounded. It's a terrible thing. <laughs> Anyway, that's it. Yahoo Sports College Podcast. Uh, We're done for the week. Talk to you next week.